0: So, hey there, we're again here at uh, SAS Group AMA, and today we're talking about um, technical due diligence for b 2 B SAS. So I'm super happy to welcome Thomas, uh, founder and managing partner at Techminers, a company that we often trust with our own due diligence for the companies that we buy. So thank you so much for your help. And uh, Tobias, our own CTO and co-founder welcome again. Uh, so let's begin maybe with uh, a bit more in-depth introductions. Tom, do you want to start?
1: Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, uh, Tobias, for having me. Uh, it's an honor. Um, so about myself. So I'm busy in the uh, Berlin startup scene uh, since 2002 or three, I would say. So quite a while now started off as a, uh, like in different roles, actually started off as a um, system engineer, or system administrator for Gen2Linux, did some programming team leading then architecture and then founded uh, in 2008, co-founded uh, Kaufta, or Bonial, uh how it's uh, called today. Um, and we grew it quite nicely, um, uh, me as a CTO and my co-founders for, I think six and a half years uh, before exiting it to Axis Springer. A uh, fun fact, actually, two weeks ago, I was invited by the company uh, for a code funeral. So they actually <laughs> managed to get rid of my uh, my last bits of source code, which is a bit sad. So 15 years of uh, of life in the company, but... It was nice of them to invite me. It has been hard to, to get rid of it. So I learned a lot during that time. And um, well, five years ago, we started Tech Miners to, um, to really um, figure out how to do proper tech that really create value on all sides and uh, really happy uh, to work with everyone um, here. And uh, yeah, I think that should be good. I have two kids. I'm from Berlin. I hope the kids won't join us, um, uh, but I told them not to. So let's see if
2: that works.
0: That will be their uh, moment of to fame, uh, Tobias.
2: Yeah, hi. Um, I'm I'm Tobias. I'm one of the founders of SAS Group, um, <clears throat> and um, I think like the most technical of us. Um, so uh, I'm in the Hamburg startup scene uh, since, yeah. I don't know. Two thousand and nine, I I started like building really, um, building my own stuff, um, and then um, uh, built and and sold two companies. One actually to Axel Springer as well, and then bought it back and sold it to Zalando a second time, um, and um, the other one to to Battlesman, and 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 through that, like I I also always liked this. Techidy moment, um, and and got used to it somehow, um, and and now happy to do it from the other side, and also happy to work with such competent partners as as TechMiners. I really like the approach, um, uh, and, and uh, yeah, like like how 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 you dig deep in the code um, and and many many more aspects. Um, so yeah, I'm happy happy to talk about uh, Techidy's today. Awesome. awesome.
0: well. Thank you both for joining. So uh, yeah, let's get to it. Let's go deep right away. So what is your top one common pitfall in tech Thomas? I think the, it's, it's the
1: most, uh, I think the most common, but not necessarily the most grave uh, pitfall is, is around open source, using open source components uh which is of course uh, i mean that's uh, best practice uh, common practice and uh, always a good thing but it's very important how to do it um and we very regularly find uh, deficiencies in that in that area but the most of them can be can be easily fixed but in some um circumstances it's very hard to 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 get it into green again uh, i'd say this is the most common kind of thing we have
2: Okay. And, and, and I, I think we, we're touching it in a deeper way later on, right? Um sure. I, I I think the most, let's say, overlooked uh topic that, that most people forget about or most founders forget about, is actually uh, around intellectual property, um, especially in engineering teams. Um, but also I, I saw that in dev teams. So um the fact that you need uh, to add an addendum to your contracts that um, all IP belongs to the company. Um, yeah, like everyone forgets that. It's super boring. Um, it's it's super strange thing you have to do that, but you have to do it. Um, and uh, I, I can just encourage everyone to not forget it. Um, and it's super simple to, to set it up um, and you just have to have it in your processes. Otherwise, whenever you sell your company or whenever you go through a funding round, You have to ask everyone who was ever involved in your source code um, to sign this addendum. And whenever you do that, um, you, as we say in Germany, um, uh, you wake up sleeping dogs in many cases. So uh, meaning that uh, people ask, hey, why should I sign that? Um, I'm no longer working for you. So why do you need me to sign this? Um, And yeah, then you you, you go through. through hell yeah. uh, for 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 a bit of a moment, um, and I think that's that's uh, something I can just encourage everyone to do.
1: Okay. Yes, a very good example for for something that can be can be uh, caught very early, by like in the beginning, it doesn't hurt anyone. Everyone would sign it, but later on it's harder to get. It's like a classic thing that we also find uh, that has uh, actually low probability of of actually a, a real danger happening, but if it happens, it's going to be grave. Um, so, yeah, of course, uh, very easy to to not go into that trap. And importantly, also depends on the contract type, country and so on, uh, where, uh, where, where the employee sits or the freelancer sits. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's a bit complicated by design, uh, but easy to, easy to catch. All
0: right. And Thomas, when you said um, that was the most common pitfall, but not the most grave one, is that the most
1: grave one i would say the most grave things are more obviously when they fake things and the companies fake things and, and we discovered because that hurts the trust uh between all parties and that's that's not a good good foundation to keep on talking um and um otherwise it's it's mostly i think the the, the hardest things to fix are personnel <laughs> i'd say that is is not uh, maybe didn't grow as well uh, with the company as um <laughs> as it should be, and uh, from my own experience, uh, when we had like six countries, 150 people, 60 engineers or so, it was just good for me to leave the company and to to pass the CTO role to someone else uh, who who has had seen growth at that uh, level um, already a few times. Uh, that's just reality. But if people don't want to do this, this is uh, something very, that's really harming your company and uh, you can really fix that easily. So in those cases, we are very, let's say, very careful not to touch feelings and to think in the the truth piece by piece and, and try to help um, in in those circumstances. But that's... I think that's the hardest point uh, to uh, to solve, which is surprising because it's a tech DD, right? Uh, most tech things, software and so on, is somehow fixable. Things where people are involved are sometimes a lot harder to fix.
0: All right, that's interesting. Okay, so since we're talking about AI and open source and all that, um... There was a question: uh, What to keep in mind when using open source components, and what benefits, disadvantages, and risks might surface during a tech team? Thomas,
1: do you want yes, to excellent. On? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, sure. The, I mean, the, the the benefits are, I think, obvious to to most people. So if if you use something that is already there and it's tested and proven, then you can, of course, improve um your your productivity you're just faster you don't have to figure out everything yourself and and reduce reduce also maintenance cost um because the community is kind of fixing things uh and often you get higher c- code quality because it's been tested a lot more and and uh, done by specialists i mean the the advantages are obvious what's what's not so obvious in the beginning when you start using open source components is that um even if a product if you don't want to continue actively uh, developing a product you still have the, the comp- components inside and you need to maintain them and to 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 update them otherwise you might get well stuck in in very old dependencies that are very very hard to to fix and to upgrade it's it's kind of a, a exponential curve the the upgrading—the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets. Like when you do it continuously, it's good, but it it means maintenance costs. Of course, it also brings in some risks, right? Um, I mean, the best example is probably the most come or most known example is the Lock4J bug that we had in 2021, I think, where suddenly one of the most widely used uh, open source component had a very very grave bug very severe bug and it got public overnight to everyone for everyone so people didn't have the chance to fix it before uh before it got public um that's just uh, the the downside and the risk and here it's very important that you have all the dependency kind of up to date and not too old because then you will run into uh, into a real big problem um to to upgrade like block 4j quickly but it depends on something on another version of, uh, um, on, uh, of Java, for example, in this case. And uh, that means that you have to upgrade all the other components, and then it's a big mess. So uh, you have to maintain open source components, and you have to build in the cost for that.
2: I, I think it's worth mentioning that there are like certain tools that you can just use to at least have visibility um, on uh, the, the versions and the licenses uh, also very important and not mentioned that, that you're using. Um, so um, most companies tend to avoid GPL licenses um, because it's copyleft. left. Um, so Google copyleft if you wanna know more um, and, and you have to actually open source your, your stuff. Licenses is one topic and then um, monitoring on on, on up to date versions of, of all your tools can be done with like uh, for free tools, there are many open source and for free solutions. If you if you have GitHub, then there's Dependabot, for example, uh, which you can use to to monitor and also update your dependencies. And I can just encourage everyone to do that as early as possible. Right. Um, it, it absolutely makes sense. And try to always be Let's say, as I always uh, say in sascoop always be DD ready. So um, always be prepared that someone external might be interested in knowing that as well. Um, and um, yeah, uh, Thomas, I don't know, which which tools do you actually use? Do you have your proprietary stack or is there <coughs> anything you can recommend? Um,
1: for us, it's basically yeah, it's, a, it's the same thing. Yeah? Using existing components brings you a lot of, uh, further already but it's unfortunately there's not yet a, a one-size-fits-all solution so what what we do is we kind of <clears throat> we kind of have a dependency pipeline you could even say uh, we kind of get all the information in turn it into a the, this new standard s-bombs of uh, bill of material um, from different sources and then in the next step we have uh, three different uh, uh, tools that will check for for the status of the versions and other dependencies that will come with the dependency. It's, it's a very complicated field. Um, so you have to basically combine five, six tools together to get a, a real reliable answer. And basically that's what we do. We figure that out, keep it up to date. And, um, of course, the licenses, uh, Tobias, um, thanks for mentioning that. Um, this is open source doesn't mean free to use for all purposes. Um, I mean, that's one of the most common misunderstandings, right? Every open source component has a license. Um, and if it doesn't have an explicit license, that's even more <laughs> the most dangerous because then it doesn't. Well, it belongs to whoever wrote it in the, in the beginning, and then the legal case is not clear at all, uh, or actually it is clear, but it's very, very hard to f- figure it out. So it's, uh, most components actually have a license, and there you can actually check uh, with uh, allow lists and disallow lists, depending on the, the product you're building. You can put that, actually configure that in the tools and have everything automated. So I'd say the best practice to keep on track here as, as tobias said to automate things uh, um, to to of course put rules into place so that all developers know what to do what not to do what to avoid um, and then also to introduce tools um, i think you mentioned DependerBot, for example or Sbom and dependency track or uh sneak uh version either a lot of tools that you can just integrate into your build pipeline and that will just warn you um if, if things happen um in in the commit or in an update of the dependency itself um that is not in line with the rule set that you set up and then you can sleep well and uh, you're always dd ready
2: right um uh, yeah thanks again for 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 pointing out s a while ago to me uh when i, when I asked you like very helpful uh, and github actually has um an exporter for it, for the SBOM standard uh, so software build of bills of material uh where you can basically export all your licenses um and all all the dependencies that you have um so all the dependencies and their licenses that's that was very helpful thanks again um You're and welcome. um one 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 tool I, I think that like if anyone's interested um that um, i actually use a lot is is a code scanner called Trivi uh which is for free and open source um and uh, it can um also point out uh, credentials in code which is another common pitfall right like uh, that you forgot your password and uh, checked it in um quite dangerous um and um yeah uh, this this tool can at least scan the most um most used tech stacks these days um and and give you tips on uh, no. what to avoid potentially
1: yeah, yeah. Um, every tool has its specialties. Trivia is, of course, also part of our pipeline, um, and it gives also to dos and and other code smells. It's really nice, uh, but it's it's not the whole truth. Uh, you have to know what to combine. Huh? I think that's 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 our um, proprietary and IP to actually know. Uh, to actually know what to um, uh, what to combine and, and and how to run it on any any kind of source code that we get.
2: Your your, your best kept secret. So Anna, I see in your glasses that you're right now downloading uh, in the mirror in your glasses. I see that you're downloading Trivi right now, <laughs> so have fun with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's move on to AI, right? Um, okay, so how do you evaluate AI during a TDD? process. Uh, and do you have any interesting anecdotes about that? Thomas?
1: Um, yeah. Um, AI, as everyone knows, has uh, made uh, a lot of advancements and it got more more usable, really, especially during the past, let's say, 18 months. Right. So uh, like when we started Tech Minus uh, four or five years ago, was usually the question. Huh, how did you? In what language did you um, implement your AI? Is it is it Python or just PowerPoint? So usually uh, there was the answer, uh, and most <laughs> we have, I have to admit most in most cases was more more AI on PowerPoint than on Python. Um, and uh, but nowadays it's 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 more. Um, let's say uh, we have to differentiate it a bit more um
2: and i think uh, nowadays the question is like is it gpt or what is it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it gpt or, or yeah exactly but but even there you can fine tune and
1: and you it can uh, it's always always the question what what do you build around it and, and on top of it or do you try to uh, do something really your um, yourself very very custom um uh, models that 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 you train which is also still, still usable uh, or uh, needed because you cannot, even though it looks like it, you cannot, uh, the, the hammer GPT is not uh, for every nail. Um, so, so what we, what we found out is that most companies we can, um, classify in, in how we call it early interest, um, that are just playing around with it internally, um, with any, any AI toolings. And then we have AI consumers uh, which use uh, very efficiently sometimes the just open AI apis for example or existing models yeah so which is which is super powerful I would always recommend to start there uh, some companies try to to skip that that part and and uh, work on their own models right away um, and then um, the third level we call AI enhances that are that are companies that Take something that is already there, open sourced or um, or fine tunable like uh, like GPT, and they build on top of it. And then, of course, there are some the the real deal uh, companies that really train their own models and, and try to to figure out other things. But obviously, this is super expensive, and you cannot do it half assed. Uh, you have to go full in, and so that's only for for some companies. So nowadays we.
2: I, I... Hmm? I yeah. would actually assume that it's like, I don't know, 10% of the companies that pretend to do AI um, is the ones that really build AI infrastructure. Um, is, that, is that correct or is it more?
1: I, I couldn't say the numbers, but it could be, could be around, around that. Probably. But it's, I think most, most companies now fall into the category um, of, of AI consumers. And I mean, there also. I mean, there is also a trap here. Uh, a lot of AI enhancers we've seen uh, during the past year that built, for example, on on GPT uh, three three point five, and um, that built a lot of nice tricks around enhancing or circumventing the, the the context windows, and and put a lot of money into that, for example, um, and. and it all it was all for nothing with GPT four with what do they have, thirty-two K context window and uh so a lot of a lot of uh investment down the drain. Sometimes you just have to wait a bit and those problems solves them uh solve uh, themselves. It's a tough field to play in because it's so fast, but it's that's also the fun in it, huh?
2: Absolutely, it, it was slow for a while, right? It was slow for years, and the companies that invested in infrastructure back then, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be in their skin. So, um. yeah.
0: true. Okay, yeah, thank Perhaps you. True. All right. So, um, we actually have a question, which is, um, okay, I'll throw it in anyway. Um, this is about fundraising. This is not about. Selling the company, but still, what are the top important DD areas uh, to be covered for a SaaS company going for a series B race? Uh, and based on your experience, what does uh, the VC or PE look into? We were just discussing with Thomas the the situation with with the VCs before before this. So, uh, what do you think?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe I start uh, from. Uh more generalist view, and as you add um, the ZaaS the sprinkle. Um, so I think in, in, in general, the biggest areas for us are always, obviously technology, right? Um, and so all the software you have, the infrastructure, um, how, the, the real assets, uh, and then we have the team. Um, you know, with a good team and uh, and bad tech, you can you can still do a lot of things. Uh, the other way around, it's very hard. Um, product, because product is um, pro- especially product management and best practices here and working efficiently in this field is not a discipline that especially Central Europe uh, is very good at. Uh, we're getting there step by step, but this is. I mean, you know, like, it doesn't really matter how, how much firepower you have. If, if, if you don't have anyone to aim, uh, you're not getting anywhere. And, um, the last one usually is, um, scalability for us, um, in, in, in different senses, um, team scalability, infrastructure scalability, product scalability, and so on. And when it comes, so those are the big areas where we can basically Kind of classify all, all of the big things that we look at. When it comes to SaaS, we add another layer on top of that because for SaaS, there are a few more things um, to be considered, which is um, how costly it is to onboard new users, how the the cost e- evolves um, with more users. It's, is it linear, super linear, or, uh, uh, or worse, <laughs> and uh, exponential? And, and um, what about payment, um, subscription management? Uh, what about the invoicing and stuff like that, which is very, this is very unique for ZaaS and very, it's, it's key to actually grow such a company. So that, that's what we would look into. Um, uh, Tobias, what would you add? Uh,
2: well, from my perspective, it's all about product market fit and product. Um, that's like the real deal uh, when you look at a company uh, this is the most important fact that the business is actually working, and um, honestly, like especially when when I mean we uh, we're acquiring businesses, so it's maybe a bit different from a typical VC. Um, a typical VC maybe could ignore the fact that there's no product market fit, but I I've also seen like many VCs that tr- um actually went 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 down that route um and uh paid a very high valuation for a company that um seemed to have product market fit and was like essentially run run over by other v c s and then invested very high valuation and just to realize that there was no real product market fit and that there's so much to be done um which is really um crucial and critical um if if you don't know it or if you didn't know it from the start um uh, like yeah no matter if you're v c or if you're if you're buying if you're buying it's it's even more important so product is key um a product market fit is absolutely essential, especially for us then um i agree time to value is 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 really critical so um how quick is it to onboard uh, new users how 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 directly does the product pay off and how easy it is to see and and to use for 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 an end customer scalability you mentioned thomas um i think sometimes it can be um Actually, also a negative sign if if a company uh, focuses too much on, on generalizing and, and, and scalability uh, topics, especially in the tech area. Um, uh, I, I once did a did a podcast with a former um, a CTO of PipeDrive, and 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 he said in his uh, nice nice accent that um, scalability problems uh, or scaling problems are good problems to have. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I would actually agree uh, that if you're there and you really have scaling problems, then um, you, you're successful. I, I, I like if companies have scaling problems. Um, yeah. and, and then the last luxury one is... is uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely, luxury problems. And then the last one, from my perspective, is, is really a strategy, how to mitigate tech debt. It's um, actually a topic uh, that we kind of touched when we uh, touched the open source license management and uh, dependency management, it's very, very important. And I see that with many, many companies um, that you have your tech debt under control, that you have a strategy percentage of time you invest to work against it. And um, understanding on a, on a management level, also even CEO level, not only CTO level, um, that there is such a thing as tech debt and that there is not just features and uh, not just feature development. That's very, very important from my perspective. And I see that with many companies.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: Well said, uh, Tobias.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Thanks. All right. Uh, so the next question is, uh, what are the best practices for ensuring the security of AI-powered features, especially within a SaaS offering? So, uh, Tobias, ready to add a bit more SaaS sprinkles?
2: Security of AI-powered features.
1: Uh, yeah, I can um, I can add my generalist <laughs> view yes, <please>. first. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> thanks but uh uh, so ai security or quality uh in the end of of ai features is uh, really a a tough tough challenge uh, because it's most mostly it's the nature nature of, of of those features to be kind of to work like a black box you can't really See what's happening inside. So <clears throat> instead of having little unit tests and uh, going through the code line by line and making sure making sure that that everything works well, you can basically only uh, like test the the input uh, and see what what the output output does. Uh, and um, especially when it comes to LLMs, the output is just a text, right? Um, or an image, uh, and it's very very hard to say, um, to assert, is that what we expected or not? So, um, I've seen approaches now, and and I I think we will see a lot of development here in in the next uh, months and years. Um, But I've seen even LLMs testing LLMs, right? Where you generate input with an LLM uh, to run against your model, and then you get the output and evaluate that with another LLM again, to see if that is what you expected. And um, so it's not not solved really yet. And uh, yes, it sounds expensive. It is expensive. But you have to do it somehow. You have to ensure the quality here um, and and the security um, as as a subdomain of quality. Um, So I'm really I'm always looking for new articles on that topic because that hasn't been solved too well yet. And, but I mean, there are some, some best practices, of course, especially when it comes to ZARS, right? Uh, we have a lot of users, uh, potentially, and it's, it's external users. It's not an internal tooling that makes it even harder. But yeah, automated testing as much as you can. Um, you can uh, validate the input so that you can see that if someone is trying to do something with your features that was not intended um like remember sql injections in the in the 90s and 2000s right there might be ai injections um and uh, of course restricting access to data on a very very high detailed level and of course transparency monitoring uh, and keep the information uh, keep the inputs outputs somewhere so that you can audit later when when, when things happen yeah, so you can learn from it and but that's that's all um, I I can say about this topic yet because it's uh, evolving, I'd say. To yes,
2: it's it's really interesting to see every once in a while um, a breach of some hosted chat agent by some company, where you understand how you can make the bot kind of code or how you can, uh, how, how you can expose like a full GPT-4 or, or something like that. Right. Um, it, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. But, um, I don't see it in many, um, DDs right now because like for us, it's m- mostly later stage and, it's, um, they're like, let's say the exposure to AI is, is, is kind of still limited. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, observing, uh, observing in a curious state of mind. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you. So, what about what about AI for technical due diligence? Uh, do you think it's going to change the traditional approach to it in any way?
1: Well, for technical uh, due diligence, tech due diligence, um, it already does. I mean, we are we are using uh, in in different fields. We are already using AI. Yeah. You know? It's it's not that we kind of feed everything into a big model and then get the answers. Um, but <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's a long and complex process. And in more and more places, we, uh, we use AI, um, to, um, to just go deeper and, and more detailed. I mean, imagining, you know, we, we have the co- static code analysis has, has been around for, for a long time and it's, it's pretty good, but, um, it, it has its limitations. You cannot really, it, it doesn't really read the code, right? It, it's using um, heuristics and, and like, sim- rather simple algorithms to, to evaluate if, if there are cold smiles or complexity and so on. But with uh, LLMs, you can actually read the code and, and or let it read the code and, and give, uh, let it give you information on, okay, how best practice is that? How maintainable is that? Is that, what, is that a bug fix or this commit was that? What happened here actually? Is that, did that improve things? Was it fixing a bug? Was it uh, adding a feature? So this, this expands the things we always wanted to do or enables us to, to, to do the things we always wanted to do, but could never do because we only had one a week or two weeks uh, for due diligence. So we kind of expand our workforce here and we see it changing uh, definitely our, our, our results as well to, to be more reliable, to to be even deeper. And <clears throat> I mean, with this pace, um, I think uh, the, the sky's the limit, right? Um, uh, I think for, for a a lot of, lot of rather straightforward DDs, there's a lot more to that we can fetch here with AI, not surprisingly, right Commercial DD is uh,
2: on another page uh, to be. Absolutely. like which of those work contracts is missing the IP addendum eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i I see it changing a lot um and um okay, when it comes to commercial ID and especially numbers, then lms are not so helpful these days right it it's it's still evolving um uh, because yeah math is not easy uh, for a language model um but but I see it um as like a very helpful tool in dds um also just manually just using um an LLM to uh, yeah for example check contracts search for anomalies to uh, kind of check and scan contracts um or or um additional documents that you have um, I, I find very helpful and for code yes absolutely um yeah. that, that's, that's very helpful
1: well and also um not only code but also interaction between uh, between the within the team Let's say I mean we use sentiment analysis for pull request comments, for example. Uh, so so we can actually see how or get an idea on the on the culture, how how people are treating each other and where maybe the, the pull requests are that we should read manually to get a better picture. Um but yes um you, you must get a lot of awful awful lot of data in the virtual data rooms sometimes, right? So wouldn't that be a prime example for for making it searchable?
2: Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, that's what I meant. Ah. I mean, you can basically throw in whatever you have and just ask the model to um, to br- at least briefly scan it. Um, it's not always right, um, so the results are not always great, but they are like just good enough to 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 point you onto topics that you wanna wanna touch. Actually, have you tried it all? Yes with uh,
1: maybe maybe that's a discussion for (laughs) for outside the (laughs) But Are there tools around yet that do that? Or did you just- uh, I don't know of any. I don't know of
2: any. I I don't know of any. I I, I would just use like a a base model and uh, just throw it in. um, That would be a nice
1: nice SaaS product, right? To have a proper uh,
2: virtual data rule
1: at some point. Absolutely. Uh, those yeah. features. The
2: solutions yeah. out there are not so great.
1: <laughs> yeah, to all listeners here, yeah, this is what we could use. We can see product market fit here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: That was a good try to, right. to crack Tobias on a live podcast. Uh, well. <laughs>
2: oh.
0: um, all right. Well, um, there were a few questions that we did not we really wanted to ask on the previous tech to DMA, but we didn't have time for that. Uh, but I'm going to pop them up here. And one of them was, um, as a founder, uh, how do you ensure if you're not a technical person, especially if there is your CTO, that's going to go through technical DD, how do you ensure that your tech is fine and that your CTO is doing a good job? Thomas. Okay. That's
1: excellent question. And, uh. Very very broad topic. Uh, I think I touched it already a bit. Um, I mean, in preparation for tactity, it's 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 rather simple to do it. Just just run a tactity on yourself, uh, a private one, like a like a rehearsal, like a dry run. Um, I, I know of some companies that did that actually twice, uh, two times, two rotations before they actually um, started their the process uh exit process and and uh it was very helpful for them because they did have <laughs> quite some skeletons so um we actually also already do that on a, on a regular basis to um to just prepare um a, a tech dd in a sense of of previewing what the results would be and secondly actually coaching the cto to and the team um for for the basics um how to react uh, to different uh, kinds of auditors yeah, you know that the styles are very different um, um, and what documents to prepare everything starts usually at the at the architecture discussion and this just has to be super perfectly designed so that that you have a good start um, but the the bigger question that is even more um, important I think for um, for, for aud- all companies is um, how can a non-tech co-founder be sure that the CTO is still the right person uh, at the stage of the company? As you know, for me, that changed. Uh, I obviously was a very good person for the beginning until we had like 80 80, um, uh, developers. uh, And there was just good to get in more, more experience. Um, And but how to find that out. And it's, of course, it's not easy, and it's a case by case thing and very individual. But what you can, wh- what I what I always can recommend is to get involved or to stay involved also in um, technology or tech things like Tobias said. The tech debt, right? Uh, technical debt is it's very hard to explain, but in the end, it's it's something you have to control. So also as a non tech founder, make sure to 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 attend some regular meetings and to involve actually not to sit there and and do something else but really try to get into that because uh the everyone will be very thankful and will actually appreciate it very much to uh, that that you take the time we'll make sure that you get the idea and understand what you need to understand what could we mention here so the demo days for example like Every two weeks or four weeks when uh, when the developers hopefully show <laughs> what they have achieved during the past duration, uh, this is uh, very important, um, so you can actually see what has been done. You get a feel for how fast things are and what are what, what, what the products are that are super slow and um, and things that are faster. The roadmap planning <clears throat> i mean uh, of course you don't have to uh, prioritize every every single story, but when it comes to epics. And very strategic um, uh, stories. Uh, get involved and really understand what's what's being discussed here, uh, and take the time to 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 collaborate. Um, uh, this will be highly highly appreciated. And, and after after doing that for a few months, you get a very good feel for what's going on here. It's not, it's not magic, right? Um, it's uh, of course details will always be hidden, uh, but there are so many things on the, on the surface, really. That really help understanding things, and um, maybe last thing here is um, there's also a technical roadmap, right? As Tobias said, so how, how much how much do people invest into uh, solving technical debt? Which that, that's what I call the technical roadmap um, or technology roadmap. We have the feature roadmap uh, where we allow people to do more things in the product and um, push the product forward. But on the other hand, we have to clean up tech debt. And this is also something uh, non tech founders should also be involved in uh, to, to really understand okay, uh, this tech debt, can it really wait? How much does it cost me? Because, I mean, it's uh, things you don't solve. Uh, the tech debt you build up cost kind of interest. Like all all features you want to implement are more costly the more technical debt you have and at some point you have to pay it back and so i think really spending some time with the team and, and really showing that you're involved and you want to understand and want to contribute um also to very technical things um is i think a very very good and um very safe route to understanding what's going on and that gives you a good feeling and if you have the feeling yeah I don't think uh, the CTO is doing so fine uh, anymore. I mean, you only can get this feeling when you actually are involved. Otherwise, it's just either hearsay or your opinion. Um, and then you get someone in, right? And the advisory board, for example, have a tech expert in the advisory board who can can look at things uh, without stirring up too much dust, or or do a health check uh, with uh, your favorite tech T D provider. Um, or <laughs> we're also working on a on a little self assessment uh, where non-tech managers can kind of get a benchmark: is are we doing all right, S- uh, or or are we are we below what the others have, uh, and so on? But this is not released yet. But um, I think we can provide the link uh, through Anna when it's ready. Yeah. That
0: would
1: be great. No now talked a lot
2: to be yeah.
0: Anything to add? Well, one,
2: one, one thing to mention. I mean, you covered quite quite a lot of it. Um, one, one thing to mention from my perspective is kind of um, like looking at a company from the outside um, to observe the interaction um, and the chemistry between CEO and, and CTO. Um, you, you can see so much through that. Um, like how do they like each other? So how much do they interact? How often do they meet? Um, how, if you have a meeting together with them, um how 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 do they interact do they trust each other or not um that's like always and it's actually like a a, a interesting thing to observe uh from my perspective um and yeah the rest um i I fully agree with you
0: all right so uh just one more question left and this is something i know uh tobias is a big fan of developer productivity and developer experience so how do you look at that during the technical due diligence, and why? Why are you doing this?
1: <laughs> so, uh, developer productivity. Uh, let's start with that. Uh, very hard to hard to measure. Right? So, but what's actually really helpful is to look at uh, to compare the, the the same setting over time to see how did it change. Like we um, uh, came up with a number called impact which is based on um, some algorithms and, uh, and heuristics on, on languages that kind of give a bit a better idea on how much was contributed to the code in the commit than pure um, lines of code. And when you look at that number, in most cases, you see it going down um, the per capita um, over time because uh, obviously the technical debt uh, you can see there um, at, at work. Uh, and sometimes you can also see when, kind of, uh, when, when, for example, a lot of uh, new people join the company, that it actually also goes down. That that we would, that's an indicator for growth pain. Usually, right? when it sometimes uh, abruptly by, well, maybe adding adding another team, it, it it slows down significantly. Then probably, architecture or organization or processes are not. Uh, we're just not prepared to um, to support more more engineers, and then in the end you end up with uh, a lot more salary payments, but uh, a little more productivity overall, and it makes people uh, unhappy as well. Uh, so this is this is the short answer for the uh, during a tactidy. Uh, we can rather only compare over over time. Perfect. Maybe could,
0: yeah. Anything to add? Before
2: we lose you. Oh, well, um, I think um, that, I mean there's a difference between developer productivity and developer experience, and I, I, I like to also add the developer experience over time. Like uh, many companies don't measure it, but um, Spotify Health Check, for example, is, is a is a is a very good model um, that you could introduce um, in an early stage um, to kind of measure over time how, how your how your team actually um enjoys work um and whether there are like maybe hurdles um that you can't discover through the code um or or for looking at velocity or other other um other metrics Just exactly when wanted, wanted to throw that in
1: yeah uh, i've made very good experience with that um over time but you have to let it run um over over half a year or a year at least to to get the reap the benefits
2: it's just like a versioned retro, right? It's uh, it's like yeah. a
1: retro. Yeah. That's really good. Really good. And uh, it was invented, I think, in 2013 or published by Spotify in 2013. Yep. It's still around. So that also says something. Like, okay. Must be efficient, <laughs> effective. All right. All
0: right. I'll Google that later. Cool. Uh, so thanks for. Um... <laughs> For the tip, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I think it's already a lot clearer uh, everything about open source AI and everything else that we discussed. So yeah, I uh, have to do it again sometime. So thank you guys for being here.
2: Thank you for Thanks having so me. Much for having us.
0: Sure, anytime. Bye. All right. Bye.
1: Bye.